Why don't you take your glasses off so we can see you? And then apologise to your neighbours for frightening nah, them. Nah, 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 I'll leave these on. Nah, I like them. Weird. Australia.
That's a modular synthesis party happening on New Wear Australia tonight here on FBI. Stu Buchanan has just been joined in the studio by uh, Alex White and Ben Byrne uh, appearing here as Nadir uh, ahead of the Modulux Modular Synth Mini Festival taking place this Saturday at Serial uh, Space. Uh, also joined in the studio by uh, Pia Van Gelder. How are you going, Pia? Hi. <laughs> uh, thanks for coming in and joining us. We've got Alex and Ben uh, on the on the mics as well. Um, Pia, give us a, a, an overview of what's happening uh, very briefly, I guess. Uh, we'll, go, we'll get into some detail about the actual events, but what is the, uh, the concept for the Friday-Saturday event this week? Um, well, it's a celebration of modular synthesis. Um, so in, in various ways, uh, we'll have a showcase gig, um, which will uh, be a collection of different performers from um, different places in Australia. Uh, who perform on modular synthesizers. And then on the Saturday, we're having more of a kind of um, appreciation in, outside of a performance context in the form of a petting zoo and a talk. I love the idea of, of a petting zoo where you get to pet bits of, uh, bits of gear. Now, um, for... I guess for, for, for those of us who uh, might not fully uh, understand the concept behind modular synthesis, you know, when we talk about uh, synthesis or synthesizers um, and people think about, um, I guess, uh, synthesizers from, uh, you know, maybe a few decades ago, the sort of phrase that keeps uh, kind of, I guess, coming back is this idea of analog. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so this is, uh, I guess, somewhat different. I mean, we're not just talking about purely a, the traditional analog synth. This is uh, the, the, the clue is in the name, I guess, in terms of modules and patches and so on. Yeah. yeah what, what is it intrinsic about the modular synthesis? Well, the modular synthesis uh, synthesizer is um, basically you're able to configure it to your own specifications. There are hundreds and hundreds of people around the world who make different small uh, to very large modules. And the idea is that um, you collect uh, the different modules that you want to configure um, to make your own. Usually you start and then you never stop. (laughs) And then before you know it, hopefully you might have a room filled with modules. (laughs) It mentions in in some of the literature accompanying the event that it could be the start of a very expensive hobby. Is is that how a lot of people get started? You think they they start tinkering and before they know it, it's it's all on? Uh, Yeah, I can can vouch for that. (laughs) I I like the phrase you use where the, the concept is that the architecture is left open. That's such a beautiful idea. Um, but also, um, I was kind of intrigued by the idea that um, it seemed uh, very difficult to be able to replicate particular sounds on, on more than one occasion. How is is that something that people would try to achieve, or just or just let happen what happens? I guess. Um, so I think there's a there's a that's a really interesting question. There's a, maybe a, a fine line between um, skill. Uh, you know, so your familiarity with your machine and its capabilities and the complexity of the patch that you're working with um, and then coupling that with just uh, what maybe some people might call the ghost in the machine. Um, That's sort of the romance of modular synthesis is that all of these modules have their own personalities and as much as you might think that you're the master of these tools, uh, they can often prove you wrong. It's quite, I mean, in in some respects, it's more... 
it's more towards that idea of of live art in some respects mm-hmm. where where uh, an event occurs that cannot be replicated yeah no matter how you may try to replicate mm-hmm. that you know if you're a traditional kind of guitar bass drums sure there are elements that can never be replicated but generally you're striving to replicate yeah. it. whereas here you mentioned that ghost in the machine is something that is celebrated yeah. in fact well, some some musicians call it, um, like in in electronic music, they call it like a liveness, the liveness of electronic um, uh, instruments. And uh, modulus synthesizers have definitely a lot of liveness to them. <laughs> I'm going to bring Alex and Ben in now, who've uh, who who played uh, that wonderful set for us earlier. Um, what was your, um, I guess, kind of introduction to this? How how did you? Um, gravitate towards this particular area of, of, of music making? Um, I'd kind of lusted after modular synthesizers for, for many years and, and kind of just always thought I'd never be able to afford it. And um, I think it was a conversation with Pia one day. Um, she kind of said, uh, she was kind of talking about buying a new synthesizer, and I was like, oh, you know, you should get this cool synthesizer that I just bought the other day. And it's kind of like, yeah, nah, no, I think I'm going to get a modular. And I kind of just went, hang on. <laughs> um, yeah, and so then I kind of went online and, and did some research and realised that, it, you know, yes, it's stupidly expensive, but it's it's kind of doable still if you don't mind spending all your money on it. It's an investment into your happiness. Yeah. <laughs> but in terms, I mean, somebody who's going to, you know, buy, let's say, you know, a brand new uh, MacBook Pro and, mm. you know, Logic and get exactly. some gear and so on. I mean, is it is it way, is it comparatively expensive or is it less or more? I mean, If you're going to legally buy all the software you're going to use and if you bought a, a high-end computer, um, you could use that money to buy a modular synthesizer. Mm. Um, in fact, there's some kind of uh, manufacturers that are making pre-set up kind of modulars for like 1500 bucks now um and the the difference is that in like in four years time that macbook pro is going to be worth nothing and the software you've bought is going to be worth nothing Mm. whereas the modular some of it would be probably more expensive than when you bought it and Mm. some of it's gone down a little bit but Mm. nothing like the kind of um diminishing um Mm. value that you usually have yeah, and so I guess it's like a lot of that sort of uh, older um, electronic equipment, early electronic equipment rather that appreciates rather than depreciates with age. Would that be fair? Is that yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any like there's a slight drop after you buy it, but then after that, like they mm. they kind of maintain the value. I believe that there's actually more manufacturers making this gear now than there was in its mm. in its original heyday back then. Is that is yeah, yeah. and. Um, like a lot of a lot of the modules you see made are kind of copying um, various kind of circuits that were designed in the sixties and seventies, and um, and making them more affordable or making them you know even possible. Um, and in some cases, uh, manufacturers are actually bringing out completely new designs that are really interesting, uh, kind of out of nowhere kind of um, ideas that that I guess I've, I get really excited about, as opposed to like yet another warm sounding filter yeah <laughs> on an ipad app yeah <laughs> ben um you and alex have known each other for a while but this performance that we're is happening tomorrow night is only the second of the nadir uh, incarnation if you like how how did nadir itself come around actually i think 
more than anything, uh, we just got to a point where we actually liked each other enough that we could spend long enough in a room together <laughs> to work on something. Because we've known each other, what, the best part of 10 years. It was touch and go before then, was it? Well, there was a period fighting for alpha male status with another friend of ours who's also an electronic musician in a share house in Chippendale. Uh, yeah. And, and then directing a festival together, I think, doesn't doesn't make you want to you know, go home and, and rehearse together very much either. Yeah, and so it wasn't until I moved to Melbourne that we really started to get along and then somehow <laughs> gradually worked our way towards it. There was enough distance between you that you, know, you could bear to, to work together. Um, so what was, I mean, when you said, look, let's do stuff together, I mean, we, I mean, this is, uh, the modular synth stuff you're working on is, is that the only kind of... Uh, instrument you'll use for music making outside of this project or you or do you use uh sort of other instruments and equipment for because alex you get your sort of alex white project and ben you're involved in other projects as well but do you always kind of stick to the modular stuff or is it i, I think for nadir it, it works really well ben spent a long time um developing ways of of manipulating uh sounds live i should mention that ben uses a, a laptop with max msp and is processing uh my sounds live um now i've been outed yeah (laughs) (laughs) and and kind of comes in into a a gig with with no pre-recorded sounds at all and just has to kind of grab stuff on the spot and manipulate it um so it's a great vehicle i think for for ben's kind of expertise and and interest um and on the other hand playing a modular is a little bit terrifying sometimes because if you want to change something up or everyone can kind of hear what you're doing i guess and uh, sometimes the things that you're doing to change the sound um, are fairly complex and you need to stop making sound for a bit to kind of work out what the hell's going on. Um, so it's great to have this kind of bed of sound that can mm. kind of be, hold up the, the performance, I guess, while I do that. Yeah. Now, last time, um, uh, Alex, I saw you uh, with this particular gear, or what looked like this particular gear anyway, was uh, at Serial Space um playing what I believe was called Noise Ball is that what it's called? <laughs> yeah <laughs> which uh, looked like a pretty interesting game which basically yourself and um, I think it was it uh, uh, Jonathan Hockman who was yeah it? from yeah. Holly Balm and yeah. Fodor yeah yeah. Um, but uh, as you were making similar noises as we did to what we just heard there were four people sort of playing handball in a corner um, what was the sort of um, uh, sort of conceit and correlation between that or was it just sort of for fun I mean, what's the well the invitation was open for the audience to participate in a handball game while the three of us um improvised uh for two it was a two-hour endurance av synth set um but uh those four people were the only people who were game at the time that you right. were there um and we noticed uh happily that uh it was quite a challenge to play handball while engulfed in um projection and um smoke and strobe lighting um it was sort of more like people were throwing balls at you rather than you were playing handball stop stop. (laughs) i mean for something like that you mean you refer to that sort of endurance concept and i guess for a two-hour um performance like that the audience can kind of come and go but you guys you're you're there for two hours i mean does two hours feel like an endurance for you or is that is that quite quite comfortable to um you know, play this sort of uh, technique and, pr- and process for that duration. It seems quite a long time. We actually started playing half an hour early, um, kind of <laughs> just true. trying to work out what we were doing. And then right. 
like I think some some dude arrived really early, really keen to get yeah. into the handball, and so he just had to keep going. And it was more like two and a half hours. And yeah. I kept looking at, at Jonathan, and he would just look like he wanted to like run out of the room <laughs> from about the last forty five minutes onwards. He, I think he, um, yeah, I can remember that face. But but I, I was laughing the whole time. I couldn't stop laughing. I felt sort of a bit unprofessional as well. <laughs> Not laughing at the people playing handball, but more like laughing because it was just hilarious yeah. and absurd. It was an awesome uh, kind of set of circumstances to, to play under, though, because mm. usually in Sydney you're kind of, you know, you're sitting at the front, everyone's looking at you, um, some gigs are really quiet. Um, yeah. Even if they're not quiet, there's kind of an intensity of performing in Sydney because mm. I guess because there's a lot of performances and you, you know, you don't want to fuck up. Um, it's also earnest. Yeah. It's, so, it's all earnest. Everyone's so awkward and sort of sitting down, like either looking at the floor, looking at the ceiling. Oh, it's so intense noise. And then, like, if you sort of ch- change it up a bit and you invite the audience to stand on the other side of the table mm. watching you sort of making the patch or go and stand, you know, in, in this crazy, like, firing zone um, and just move around for a change almost it, you, it, some of the photos look like people are dancing mm. yeah it's like it's some, something transforms the performance I thought yeah. it was great, great and definitely in that sense that as the audience come in they can actually be not just participa- participative but actually see exactly what's happening particularly because we're talking you know modular uh, sense here that actually being able to stand sort of behind you Alex and watch mm-hmm. as you're playing while whereas customarily if you were standing sitting on stage we'd be looking at the back of the gear um, and it definitely you know what's part of the attraction is being able to look at the equipment and which I guess which is part of the attraction of the petting zoo yeah. that's uh, that's happening on Saturday as part of the event where people can actually I guess stroke the gear in whatever fashion <laughs> they so choose. Um, so you got um, you got three uh, three events um, starting tomorrow uh, at seven o'clock. It's the showcase. Um, uh, Pia, uh, we've got Nadir and yourself playing. Uh, also uh, Jonathan that we mentioned earlier as Hare Hawkman, but also Robin Fox. What's Robin doing tomorrow? He's Ro- you go. Uh, Robin's <laughs> playing a, a VCS three, which is a a uh, synthesizer was manufactured, I think, in the late 60s or the early 70s. Classic. Uh, yeah, it's a very classic synthesizer, very expensive to buy now. Um, Isn't it famous for being the one that Pink Floyd used for On the Run? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, right. Dark Side right. of the Moon. Right. Yeah. And it kind of it has like a built-in spring reverb and, and joystick and kind of set up these these things that you don't see in many other synthesizers. That um, And it's it's kind of... Uh, it's, it's modular in that it has a... a patch matrix and it's it's definitely configurable but it's not modular in the traditional kind of patch leads yeah. but it's it still has a a changeable architecture i guess it's yeah it's a really awesome synthesizer pink floyd fans are going to be busting a nut if they're if they're listening to this so yeah um, you know there's probably been a rare opportunity to see this sort of gear but uh, robin fox is also an, an yeah. amazing performer and he's just recently released a, a seven inch um record of of him performing on the, on the VCS3 so right. it's going to be fantastic to see him doing that live but great and, and I imagine quite different to um, the sort of laser performances that, that he's been sort of doing of late has become quite quite re- renowned for so this will be a sort of uh, different spin I guess yeah no lasers no dancers yeah. um, 
you know, Robin's Robin's incredibly talented, and and I love it when he does just sound sometimes because yeah. you can really hear um, the the effort that he puts into mm. it and the, the skills that he's got. Yeah, I was watching a great video online, just a little documentary piece about the stuff that he's been doing um, with uh, a Melbourne-based institute for the cochlear implants. Um, you know, to oh. to be sort of you know sending signals that that people can respond to and so on. It's fascinating. He's, yeah. he's a a very clever guy. Um, Saturday we mentioned we've got sample and hold which is the synthesizer penning zoo from 10 to 3 and then uh, it, it rounds off with um, the another installment of the regular Dorkbot meetings um, called Synthesizing Synthesizers. <laughs> <laughs> Pia very quickly tell us about the, the Dorkbot event itself. Uh, so uh, Synthesizing Synthesizers will be a focused Dorkbot um, on uh, the people who are some people who are presenting at the, um, their stuff at the petting zoo um, so we'll be having three presentations one from Ed Leckie um, who's a um, one half of LZX which is a new modular synthesis company that makes uh, video modules which um, I perform on and also sometimes Alex does also so we're super excited about hearing that <laughs> yeah uh, yeah finding out he lived in Sydney is what it's, made this yeah. happen yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay so he's a bit of a sort of hero element to the whole oh thing. yeah yeah right right yeah uh, those modules are like, yeah, they're amazing. Uh, and then um, we'll also be having a... How, can, uh, how are you going to survive till Saturday? You're so excited. I know, already. I know. <laughs> I can't talk about it. I just like go home and go to bed and pretend it's not happening. <laughs> um, Tom, uh, Thomas O'Connor? Yeah, yeah Thomas yeah. O'Connor from Pittsburgh Modular and um, also David Barriston from um, Wide Lab. So, yeah, three pretty amazing... Uh, uh, synthesizer gurus. Can I just say one thing about Thomas O'Connor? Um, he has has come up with an analog implementation of granular synthesis using uh, the the kind of bits and pieces that would would make up a, a kick drum or a tom drum in a in a in a six oh six or a nine oh nine drum machine, and then allowing the, the user to kind of pull apart those elements and in. In the way, as if a reinvention of of uh, granular synthesis in yeah, an right. analog version, which I just think is mind blowing. It, it does sound pretty. Uh, I can't even begin to wrap my head around that. <laughs> <laughs> but look, I think this is uh, you know it's for for anyone who um, enjoyed the sounds we heard earlier, or even just has a, a sort of passing interest in uh, either modular synthesis or analog synth, or even you know somebody who might be just making music completely digitally and wants to see the other side of the spectrum. Uh, you're not really going to get a better opportunity, I think, over over um, this weekend with the with the events and uh, the Penning Zoo and the Dorkbot. So um, yeah, thanks for putting it together. It sounds like a, a great event. It's a Serial Space, get more information uh, at, uh, I'll read out the web address very quickly, sites.google.com, site slash modulux, triple X, or look for it on Facebook as well. Thanks, Pia. Thanks, Alex. Ben, thanks for coming in. What else have, have, have you got coming up af- after this? I mean, you're, you're a man of, uh, got a finger in a few pies. <laughs> pardon expression <laughs> please pardon expression. Uh, I'm around in Sydney uh, for a week or so and I'll actually be playing on Monday night with John Watts uh, at a Now Now event which is happening at Hibernian House great and what, what sort of configuration is that with you and John uh, it'll be the first time um, that we've done it uh, most recently solo I've been playing around with old digital data tapes so audio cassettes but that have digital data on them yeah, right. and um so it'll be us playing with having a few speakers in the room um 
John works with uh, no input setups, but also then sending signals out of those mixes into or out to speakers and so on and dealing with acoustics. So we'll each have our own speakers and then play around with the PA. And um, I think Exner Barbecue X are on and uh, Mike Cooper with Chris Abrahams. Cool. So it should be a good night. Good lineup, yeah. When you mention, you see digital data on audio cassettes, is that like uh, the sounds my old ZX Spectrum used to make when it was loading games? Is that the, Yeah, that's is pretty it? much it. <laughs> uh, awesome. But a lot louder. <laughs> you know, when I hear that sound, I mean, I was so accustomed to, it's showing my age there, but um, you know, I was so accustomed to the old days where we used to load um, you know, data or games onto computers using analog tape. Mm. Um, but there's a particular sound to that that it used to make. And now I hear just fragments or remnants of those noises around and it just it brings it all back. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I, mean, I guess it's a bit like uh, the raw data stuff that people do with computers, you know, sort of reading something as if it was something else and you mm. get this mess. But because they actually are audio tapes, they always were, they were just repurposed because they were cheap, there's this kind of rhythm to them and there's a whole lot of musical content there just based on the fact that, you know, there are motors dragging the tape across heads and so on. They're it's used- great. Sorry. There used to be radio shows in the 80s where people would play out these data cassettes and kind of say, you know, get ready, get your tape in, hit record (laughs) now. And they'd play it out and then you'd have the software just from recording the radio. It's, it's, it's phenomenal when you think about it that actually you're able to transmit data through that audio recording through by literally sticking a recorder up to the radio as you would have had to do, you know, play, record, um, mm. and to grab that. I mean, I remember kind of being frustrated by not being able to load games because, you know, I dubbed a game onto an old, you know, Susie and the Banshees cassette or something <laughs> and it'd have like <laughs> fragments of drums coming through as the game was trying to load. And I hope you had to get a pristine cassette to make sure when you were, you know, when you were getting your pirate games. But uh, I've actually sourced big piles of cassettes to play with because part of the attraction for me is I've got all these cassettes and I don't know exactly what's on them and they stop and start there's chunks of silence and then screaming noise and so on but there's a bunch of them that are ones people have dubbed themselves mm. and I have one that is literally this huge burst of um, data and then it drops out into halfway through Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> it's really incredible. That's an album right there. It is, yeah. it is. Uh, dragging us back to Modulux, I just wanted to mention briefly because uh, the other two guys that are speaking as part of the Dorkpot uh, event got a run. I've heard a story, I first heard this story the best part of 10 years ago, that Dave Burriston made boxes for Aphex Twin back mm. in the day. Oh, really? And I'm interested to know if anyone knows that is I... true. And prepared to bring it up on radio because even if they don't, it's now out there. Yeah, to, <laughs> right. to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised. Does Dave know <laughs> if it's true? Well, we can check on the weekend. <laughs> Let's just say it's true. Yeah. And, uh, you know, whether or not Dave thinks it's true or not, we'll never know. Or so FX know. Twin tomorrow night, Modulux. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, thanks very much for coming in. Good luck with the weekend and uh, good luck with the rest of the projects. Thanks very much. Thanks, thanks a lot. Thank us. you. Sounds may be perceived as colour or colour as odour. I, I knew that... The boys smoked pot, and they, they equally knew that I disapproved. I was free above the planet Earth, so it was rotating majestically below me. New Year in Australia.